loads of English learners that I speak to are learning English because they want to live or study or work in an English-speaking country, but that's easier said than done. What's it actually like to pick up your life and move it to a different part of the world? Let's talk about it. All right, mate, how's it going today? I'm doing pretty well, thanks for asking. So today, it's another episode of the Chinwag Podcast, where I don't really try and teach you English. I just talk about a topic that interests me, maybe interests you, and give you some listening practice. So I'm not going to be teaching you any new phrases. I'm not going to be answering any questions. We're just going to be having a bit of a chat. And if you're new around here, my name's Dan, and I'm here to help you stop being an English student and start being an English speaker. I make podcasts, I make YouTube videos, I make blogs and ebooks, all sorts of good stuff. And it's all designed to help you be a confident communicator. And I'm also here to help you improve your knowledge of British English. You know, I'm a British guy, I know a bit about British English, and I'm here to help you out with that. I've been doing this kind of stuff for over eight years, taught thousands of students in that time. So you're in good hands. And if you're not new here, if you're a returning listener, Thanks a lot. Nice to see you again. Hopefully you had a good time since the last one. I also wanted to just remind you that this episode doesn't have a cheat sheet because I'm not really trying to teach you any new phrases or anything like that. But all my other podcasts have some kind of cheat sheet full of all the details that goes with that episode to help you remember that stuff for longer. So why not go to the link in the show notes? That's dansenseienglish.com forward slash study squad sign up now you'll never miss a cheat sheet for another episode and you'll also get my ebook the study hacks guide it's full of tips and tricks to help you improve your english studies even if you're studying on your own it's full of stuff that i wish i knew when i started learning japanese uh, but i had to find out the hard way and i put all that pain into a book so you don't have to suffer like i did it's totally free you'll get it as soon as you sign up it's worth the effort. So today then, we're going to be talking about what it's like to move to another country and live there. Um, I think I'm in a good position to talk about this because, as you may or may not know, uh, in 2016, I packed up my little suitcase and I got a plane and I went to Japan. And that's where I live now. I've lived in Japan for like six, oof, six and a half years, something like that. And it was a great decision uh, in retrospect, in hindsight, looking back, it were a great decision. Um, but it's not been plain sailing. It's been a little bit of a bumpy ride sometimes. So as somebody with that experience, I thought it might be fun to talk about that stuff. Because a lot of people that listen to this podcast and watch my videos and stuff probably have some kind of interest of visiting an English speaking country. Maybe to stay there long term, you know, work or study or, you know, maybe you got married to a British person and you want to live there. I mean, I don't know your backstory, but I hear that kind of stuff all the time. Or maybe you just want to travel. You know, maybe you want to go to England or America or Canada or, you know, wherever it is that you want to go. And maybe you just fancy traveling around and enjoying life in another country and you would want to be able to communicate with people. I mean, that's fine. 
Um, so I thought this might be an interesting topic for you guys as well. Basically, I'm going to cover three main parts in today's episode. The first episode is, no, first episode, the first part of this episode, I should say, is going to be talking about like leading up to leaving England, like the year or the months before I actually left. The second part, we're going to be talking about what it was like when I first arrived, like culture shock and all that good stuff. And the last part is going to be basically how I feel about it now, after I've been here for a while, and would I recommend it to someone? So that's the plan, and I suggest we just jump right in. So, I mentioned that I moved to Japan in 2016, April 2016 to be precise. And I'd actually, as a kid, I always thought that I would move to another country. I don't know, when I were a young lad, I got it in my head that I wanted to go live in America. I don't know, maybe too many, you know, Hollywood movies and, you know, I was a big fan of like Keenan and Kel back in the day. <laughs> so maybe I wanted to go live in America. I don't really know why, but I wanted to go live even as a young lad. I, I always fancied living in another country. But I didn't really think about it, never made any plans to do it. Just kind of that idea were kicking around in my head somewhere in the back. And then... You know, I did the usual stuff, you know, finish school, go to university, uh, start working. And I studied sound engineering in university, right? And, you know, recording podcasts is part of that. But, you know, recording music or doing audio for films or, you know, whatever it is, live music venues and stuff like that. So it's not that useful in the real world. It's not like an accounting degree or, you know, a degree in computer science or something. Basically, I know how to make music sound a little bit better. Not much call for that in the workforce. At least there weren't in 20... Uh, well, when did I finish university? 2011, I guess. I finished university, so... No, that doesn't seem right. 2007, I finished university. Oof, I'm an old man. I'm forgetting when things happened. But... Yeah, there wasn't much scope for me to work in that industry in the UK. So I ended up working random jobs, to be honest. You know, uh, I worked in like call centers. I worked um, doing all sorts of bits and bobs. Jobs that I didn't like, jobs that I didn't want to do. Uh, some days and jobs were soul crushing. Uh, and I never lasted more than a couple of years in any of those jobs before. You know, I either quit or I got fired or, you know, <laughs> it didn't last long. But the job I had, the last job I had in England was working basically in a call centre but doing technical support for people with problems with their internet and the computers and, and all that kind of good stuff. Oof, that is a frustrating job. Trying to help old Ethel, 86 years old, open her email address is not a fun task. And that was my job day in, day out. Um, so after a while, I think probably about the age of 30, you know, you kind of reassess your life and like, what am I actually doing here? And I realised I weren't happy and there weren't much chance for things to change in England. I say I weren't happy. I was proper clinically depressed. <laughs> you know, I don't like to talk too much about it, but things were dark. Things were bad. A lot of counselling, a lot of therapy, a lot of medication. So about the age of 30, I was like, well, I need to reassess my life. I need to think about what it is I actually want to do, what I want to achieve, 
Um, you know, where am I going to be in 10 years? That kind of thing. And that's when I started looking at my options. I realized during this technical support thing, I actually like helping people. I enjoy learning a skill and then helping other people do that skill. And in my life, I've taught myself a lot of stuff. I taught myself how to build websites. I've taught myself how to shoot and edit YouTube videos. I've taught myself how to play guitar. Various skills I've learned on my own. And I actually quite enjoy helping pass that information on to other people. So got me thinking, like, maybe teaching is something I could do. Now, I didn't ever fancy being, like, a, a teacher in school in England. Like, like a qualified teacher to teach in public education in England. I didn't really fancy it. I didn't enjoy school that much when I was there. So didn't really want to go back as an adult um, for various reasons, but I didn't fancy it. And, you know, that job that I had working in the call center all day long, sat in front of a computer, not talking to anyone, not meeting anyone new. I thought, well, I also want to, you know, have a bit of a experience in life. I want to go out into the world. I want to meet new people. I want to see something different other than these four walls and this computer. So teaching kind of ticked all of those boxes for me. Uh, if I became an English teacher, I could travel the world. I could meet new people. I could help people develop a skill. Sounds good to me. And I, I settled on English teaching because, you know, I could already speak English. And I'll be honest with you, at that point in my life, I didn't know anything about grammar. You know, I could speak English fluently because it's my mother tongue. But, you know, if you put me in front of a, a sentence, be like, Dan, what's a subject? Uh, what's a past participle? I, I don't know. I don't know what that stuff means. But I know that that sentence is right or wrong. So at that point, I thought, OK, if I want to be a teacher, I better learn you know, the logistical aspects of the language. Um, because my mum, when I talked to my mum about it, she was like, sure, you could be an English teacher, but there's nothing worse than a crap teacher. Don't be a crap teacher. If you're going to do it, be a good teacher. You know, learn everything you need to learn and be good at it. Don't be a shit teacher just for a paycheck. And that stuck with me. So I did. Uh, I went back to university. I did something called a CELTA. C-E-L-T-A, CELTA. It's a kind of teaching qualification um, for helping non-native speakers learn English. Uh, so that was good. I enjoyed that. It's difficult because I had to learn English and learn to teach English at the same time. But, you know, it weren't that difficult. I already knew the language. It was just a case of filling in the gaps for the technical side of things. So I finished that qualification and then it were kind of getting ready and thinking about what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? And to be honest, until this point, I hadn't actually planned the next step. I just kind of knew, okay, if I want to be an English teacher, I need to do this qualification. But I didn't actually think about what was going to happen after that. So, yeah, for some reason, I can't even really remember why. I got it in my head that Japan might be fun. I think growing up, I, I really loved a game called Street Fighter. Maybe you guys know. Um, me and my brother used to play that all the time. Kind of obsessed with it. And my brother recently got me into reading some Japanese comics, manga comics. Uh, a series called Death Note. And I'd never really been into comics or not so much. Kind of 
liked the idea of comics but never really cared that much and for some reason probably related to those things but i got it in my head that japan might be kind of fun although i'd done zero research about japan at the time <laughs> didn't know anything about the place i just knew a little bit and then i thought okay sounds good let's start planning so i started looking for work before i arrived in japan because you can't just get on a plane and go to a country you want to visit there's a lot of paperwork and bureaucracy that you need to do bureaucracy is you know paperwork and following all the guidelines and the rules and ticking all the boxes and and all that stuff so yeah one of the things i had to do was find work because i needed a company to sponsor my visa they had to basically say yo this guy's got a job um you know, Mr. Tanaka or whatever. Yes, Dan can come to Japan. He works for my company. I will sponsor him. You know, this kind of thing. Um, which were good, but most of the jobs you're going to find while living overseas as a teacher are not great. They're a good way to get your foot in the door. Good, good idiom. Foot in the door. Get your foot in the door like a first step to allow you to do other things. You know... Finding a, a job overseas, not the best job in the world, but it meant that I could get to Japan. It meant I had a way in, I had a foot in the door. So eventually I did some interviews and looked at some different companies and I took a job with one of the big English schools here in Japan, a company called Nova. And, you know, they said, okay, Dan, you got the job. Um, we'll start sending the paperwork. And then, you know, a couple of months dealing with paperwork and all that boring stuff. I had to go down to the Japanese embassy in London a couple of times to fill in some forms and, you know. But after a while, I got the visa paperwork all sorted. Then I had to book a flight. I had to quit my job. And I had to start getting emotionally ready for, you know, picking up my life and moving to the other side of the world. Because on paper, sounds easy. But actually, it's really hard. Really hard to leave everything you know behind. Um, but it was much... The payoff was worth it, right? Like, the option of being able to start a new life and have a totally new experience that... And you have to remember that nobody in my family ever left the village where we grew up, right? People lost their mind when my brother went to live in London from Sheffield. But I was going to move to Japan, the other side of the world. People didn't do that kind of thing where I grew up so on paper it sounded nice and easy but in real life uh, it's, a, it's a big thing so I had to emotionally prepare myself to get ready but eventually I booked a flight and the day came it was the 21st of April 2016 and my mom and stepdad took me to Manchester airport So yeah, the next stage were actually to fly to Japan and I arrived in Osaka or Kansai International Airport in Osaka uh, to start my new life in Japan. And immediately you realize how hard it's going to be. Immediately. I'd studied a bit of Japanese before I came to Japan and I had a little bit of confidence like, yeah, I can survive. I'll be all right. I can ask where the bus stop is, you know. And I arrived in Kansai and immediately realized I was in way over my head. It was so overwhelming. Even just, I was supposed to go 
to a certain city at a certain point and I was supposed to wait there for somebody from my company to come pick me up, right? But getting there meant I had to take a, a coach and a bus or whatever. Um, jet lagged, you know, super jet lagged, carrying two suitcases, excited, worried, tired. It's a dangerous cocktail of emotions, that one. Um, and I realized I couldn't work out anything on my own. I couldn't do anything. I asked for help and I couldn't understand the answers. Oof, that were a difficult first hour in Japan, I would say. After that, you know, I eventually got to my apartment and started settling in. And that first night, I remember I didn't have a bed. I had to sleep on like the a pile of clothes on the floor in this new apartment. And I didn't have an internet connection. I couldn't check in with anyone back home. And I was totally alone in this tiny little Japanese apartment. And I remember thinking like, what the fuck have I done here? What, what, what is, what have I done? This is like the biggest mistake I've ever made. Just so overwhelmed with it all. I couldn't do anything. I didn't know anybody. Could barely speak the language. And everything was a struggle. Everything was a struggle. But slowly but surely, step by step, day by day, started to get used to my new life in Japan. You know, it helped when I started work because I met some other teachers and they kind of helped me a lot. Uh, a guy called Sam and a guy called David who I used to work with, um, they helped me loads in my first six months in Japan. Uh, as well as a couple of Japanese friends I'd made. Uh, one of my best friends called Shorty who lives here in Japan. Um, and they helped me a lot because it's hard to do everything on your own. And when you come to a new country, you don't know anyone, and you don't speak the language, doing everything on your own is tough. And I had some really tough experiences. I remember it took me two and a half hours to open a bank account because, <laughs> you know, using Google Translate on my phone to try and communicate with the woman behind the counter that's probably not seen many foreigners in her entire life before. In the end, she said, I'm sorry, your passport is wrong. How is my passport wrong? What are you on about? Obviously, a bit of a communication breakdown somewhere in there. But, yeah, two and a half hours to open a bank account was tough. So a lot of those kind of experiences, a lot of good experiences as well. I don't want to paint it as negative, but those first few months were really tough. A lot of homesickness, a lot of feeling like this is too hard, this is too much. Um, I've made a mistake, you know, this kind of thing. And I very nearly decided to go home. I, I remember after a few weeks, I was like, oh, I, need, I think this is not for me. I think I'm going to go back to England. But I said to myself, like, Dan, you've come all this way. You've crossed the other side of the planet and you're going to give up after six weeks. Least you can do. You owe it to yourself to stick around for six months. See what happens. Maybe it'll get better. So I did. I decided to stick around for six months. And it did. It got better. You know, started to enjoy my life in Japan. Met some friends and started doing some interesting things. And everything got easier over time. Especially because I put a lot of effort into learning Japanese. That made a big difference. Being able to speak the language of the country you live in is such an important thing. 
Um, as you probably well know, that's probably why you're learning English in the first place, right? But it's such an important thing. Like if you can't speak the language, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? You can't communicate. And that's a, a nightmare. And that's probably one of the reasons that my, you know, English teaching content focuses so much on communication because, you know, you can pass a test. It doesn't mean you can survive if you have to live in England, right? So I, I like to focus on communication and confidence with communication. So, But yeah, the first few months were a bit tricky. But after six months, I realized I'd made the right decision. My life was much better in Japan than it was in England. Everything was new. Everything's exciting. You're meeting loads of new people. Everything's great. Everything's great. It took a lot of adjusting, uh, especially, you know, cultural stuff and you know, Japanese people tend to be quite shy where I was quite outgoing when I first got here, you know, loud mouthed or whatever. So kind of adjusting and fitting in was quite tricky, but yeah, it was worth it. And I was meeting a lot of people, getting better at teaching English and learning Japanese and having a lot of fun. And it were great. It were, it were great. But, you know, after a year, a year and a half, it's not new anymore. You know, it becomes normal. The things that you were like, wow, that's so amazing, that's super cool. When you first arrived, just like, oh, look, it's that thing that I see every day. It's not interesting anymore. And we call this like the honeymoon period. The honeymoon period wears off after about a year and you start to see life for what it actually is. And that's when things become a bit tricky. Like the first two years, everything's new and interesting. But what happens after that? That's when a lot of people go home. That's what happens. But I knew I was in for the long haul. Plan on staying here for a long time. And I'm still here after six years. So it must be going well. But now I do feel a bit differently. So now that I've been in Japan for over six years. It doesn't feel like this crazy foreign country anymore. When I first came here everything was new and crazy. Now it just feels like the place I live. It doesn't feel any different to when I lived in England in terms of the place. The language is different. The people are different. The culture is different, but I'm used to it now. So it's not difficult. It's just normal. And looking back after six years, I still think it's the best decision I ever made. I've met so many awesome people. I've had so many amazing experiences I could never have had in England. Uh, I think I've probably mentioned before, but one of my most amazing experiences in Japan is I ended up on stage at a punk festival um, with a band that I really liked. Um, yeah, in front of like 3,000 Japanese people singing one of their songs. It was insane. That could never have happened. I was also on the front of a photography book that you could buy in Japanese shops. That was strange. I was a hair model for a while. <laughs> you know, some weird experiences that uh, I never thought I was going to have in my life just because I opened the door to new experiences. And it was good. And the best thing that happened, I met my wife, which um, I'm hoping to get her on one of these podcasts as a guest at some point. I met her in Osaka and been together ever since. And now we're happily married for a couple of years. So, yeah, I can hand on heart say that moving to Japan in 2016 completely changed my life and it's the best decision I ever made. 
and I reckon I'm going to be in Japan for quite a while because looking to the future um, hoping to settle down a bit um, hoping to grow the Dan Sensei business from just me making podcasts and videos to an actual business in the future so a lot of good stuff came because of that decision and I hope that you're listening to this and you can kind of understand my thoughts and my feelings and it resonates with you what I could say is if you're where I was if you're thinking about moving to another country right it's not for everybody I must I must say that it's not easy and it's not for everybody but if it's a good fit for you and you're the kind of person that would like to do that you're gonna love it it's gonna change your life whether it's an English-speaking country or any other country, just going out into the big wide world and experiencing a culture that is not your own will change you as a person and it'll change you for the better. It's always good to see somebody else's point of view and experience somebody else's culture. And learning English is probably a good stepping stone for that. So, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. I'd love to hear from you guys. What do you think? Do you fancy living in the UK? Do you fancy living in another country? What's your what's your take on all this? But thank you so much for listening to this rambly podcast today. Hopefully you found it entertaining. And maybe you learned some new words along the way. Because I just spoke naturally as I would speak to anyone else. And yeah, I think your listening practice... Uh, we'll, so your listening will be improved because of this listening practice. As always, I'd like to remind you, study squad, uh, get the cheat sheets and get the study hacks guide for free, dansenseenglish.com forward slash study squad. And while you're there, do me a favor, give me a rating on whatever podcast platform you use, Spotify, um, Google podcast, Apple podcast, whatever it is, leave me a rating. It's the best way you can help the podcast out. Every rating gives me another chance to get the podcast in front of somebody else who might be interested and I'd proper appreciate it. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, don't forget the like button. Just give it a little boop and you'll make my day. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. Have a good one and I'll catch you in the next one.